a sadistic witch who murdered her child and cursed the land. A dark figure who smells of rotten flesh looming over you as you sleep. And a private collection of possessed items so large some consider it the largest paranormal hotspot in New England. In their 50-year-plus careers as paranormal investigators, this demon-fighting duo has captured our hearts and terrified our minds through their investigations and their big-screen adaptations. The Amityville Horror, The Conjuring series, and The Haunting in Connecticut, and more were all made possible thanks to Ed and Lorraine Warren. Dark by Design may contain graphic and or explicit content. Audience discretion is advised. Hello and welcome. I am Bev. And I'm Rachel. And you're listening to Dark by Design, the podcast where two creative gals share stories of the macabre to then pick them apart before the nightmares start. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. We still don't have hot water. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, no. And you're sounding a little under the weather today. I see. Yes. I am, in fact, uh, a sicky chicky. So... Oh no! <laughs> it's not COVID though. You know, I haven't. That's good. In these uh, two years, haven't had COVID. Whoa, that's amazing. Everyone around me has, with the exception of Jacob and I. We, no COVID. Oh wow! So Lucky now I feel kind of left out. <laughs> oh no, no, it's okay. This is a this is a good way to feel left out. It's real FOMO for real. <laughs> the true FOMO. I, I wanted to participate in the pandemic too. <laughs> um, well, my uh, my partner and I we ended up getting COVID at the end of September. Oh yeah, um, it was very mild. One day I thought I felt like I was like needed to go to the hospital, but everything else I was fine. But um, yeah, you're not missing much. It's okay. <laughs> Just take the head cold you got. <laughs> well, it's good to know. <laughs> Maybe I'll stop wishing I'll get COVID. <laughs> Because yeah, you know, I'm just that. manifesting it at this point. <laughs> yeah, no, not good. <laughs> you can find more information, photos, and videos on today's topic on the show's website at www.darkbydesignpodcast.com or by following us on Instagram, Twitch, and TikTok at darkbydesign underscore podcast, also linked in the description below. And you can find us individually at our uh at our personal socials, uh, Rachel is at Miss Quirk with two Ks, and uh, you can find her on Twitch, Instagram, and YouTube. I am on Instagram, sometimes Twitch, and YouTube at Beverlox with two S's. And you can also send us your stories via email at darkbydesignpodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. There are also so many other ways to support the show and us as content creators. The number one way is telling your family and friends about us because word of mouth will really help the show grow and will give us more opportunities to make fun things for you in the future, which we, I promise you, we have lined up. (laughs) (laughs) If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. And if you're listening on other streaming platforms, rate us five stars and tell us your favorite ghost story, a popular tale, a local legend, or a personal encounter. (gasps) 
ties in with the theme so well, no, doesn't it? Oh, <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. Okay. Thank you. Um, we'll thank you on air and we'll give you a lovely compliment right back. And lastly, you can also support us on Patreon. You can find all of our links and handles in the description below. And uh, without further ado, Rachel, please tell us about Ed and Lorraine Warren. Absolutely. <gasps> I'm so excited to tell you this. Oh my God. I These are probably my favorite notes that I have created thus far. I'm so into this. Um, they're a fascinating couple and I can't wait to tell you about them. Yeah, they are. Yeah, dude. From, so from the haunting in Connecticut to an evil witch sacrificing her baby to the devil, we're learning all about Ed and Lorraine Warren today. First, we'll dive into their background and personal life. Then we'll discuss their most popular investigations, their impact in the media, and lastly, hear what the critics have to say about their claims. So it's going to be fun. Ooh. Yeah, dude. Oh, they're such a fascinating people. Lady that <laughs> sacrificed her baby to the de- I've never heard that. I'm excited to hear that. Okay. Ooh, I can't wait. Okay. Oh, they're they're full of stories. They're really funny people. They're really fun people, I should say. <laughs> so Ed and Lorraine Warren were American paranormal investigators and authors associated with prominent cases of alleged hauntings. Ed was a self-taught and self-professed demonologist, author, and lecturer. Lorraine claimed to be a clairvoyant and a light trance medium who worked closely with her husband. And light trance medium meaning essentially you go into like a meditative state and then allow the the spirits to communicate with you from beyond type of thing. In case you were wondering. I was wondering. (laughs) (laughs) Ed and Lorraine grew up in Bridgeport, New England and married in 1945. On January 11th, 1946, Lorraine gave birth to their daughter named Judy Warren. Ed served in the Navy in World War II. Upon returning home, he studied at Perry Art School, which is a subsidiary art school of Yale University. The family traveled around New England as Ed sold his paintings. They would often visit haunted locations, which were usually the inspiration for Ed's art and later inspired their paranormal investigating career. The pair were members of the Roman Catholic Church and believed that demonic forces are likely to possess those who lack faith in God. Which, mm-hmm. if that was the case, I would have been possessed a long time ago. But yeah. I digress. <laughs> Maybe I'm Same. possessed right now and I don't know it. I don't know what I do when I sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? I don't know who I am in my dreamland. <laughs> yeah, you never know. <laughs> my god that's fun yeah also another thing that's pretty fun uh in 1952 the warrens founded the new england society for psychic research because i guess one can just make any organization that they want and that's pretty cool so um this is the oldest ghost hunting group in new england fun facts and the warrens authored many books about the paranormal and about their private investigations into various reports of paranormal activity they claim to have investigated well over 10,000 cases during their career. Speaking of their career, their fame grew substantially after investigating the Annabelle doll haunting in 1968. Stories of ghost huntings popularized by the Warrens have also been adapted as or have indirectly inspired dozens, dozens of films, television series, and documentaries, including several films in the Amityville Horror Series, the films in the Conjuring Universe, and Steven Spielberg's Poltergeist. In their golden years, 
Yeah, which I had no idea that that they I were didn't like know that either. <laughs> yeah, which is pretty cool. I've actually never watched it, but for those who have watched it, um, the parapsychologist Doctor Lesh, who visits the home, is rumored to be based on Lorraine Warren. So fun trivia facts. Oh shit, that is so cool, <laughs> right? Oh, and then another fun trivia fact. Um, if you watch The Conjuring, the first movie, when they're in the, um, Ed and Lorraine Warren are giving their lecture to the hall, the real Lorraine Warren is like front and center. She's like on like the left side of the screen in like the first row. You can see her. It's really You're fun. You're shitting she makes me. A cameo. Yeah. I'm going to really have to cool. look. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's very cool. <gasps> yeah. Um, and in their golden years, the Warrens traveled around the country giving lectures on the paranormal and passing on their knowledge to the younger generation of investigators. Ed passed away on August 23rd, 2006. Lorraine continued to tour and acted as a consult on the first two Conjuring movies until her passing on April 18th, 2019. Ed and Lorraine are buried at Stephanie Cemetery in Monroe, Connecticut. Fun facts. So I know I've brought this up before, mm-hmm. but... Their film adaptations don't look anything like what they actually looked like in person. Like oh, for sure, Ed yeah. in the film, I got the hots mm. for Ed. Ed in mm. real life looks like a used car salesman. I can't do it. Oh my god, yeah. I was just gonna say that. Like he looks like he's gonna sell me something that's gonna fall apart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like demonology. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually that might actually come into play when I uh, talk to you about some of their cases. Ooh. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. So out of the 10,000 hauntings that they investigated or claim to have investigated, we're going to learn about seven cases today. And of course they're, their seven most popular cases, of course. So the first and foremost, the case that started everything off, these are kind of like chronologically ordered. Uh, the first case is the Anna, Anna doll. Oh my Anna doll bell. What? Annabelle doll. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, this was the first major case that propelled the couple into paranormal stardom. According to the Warrens, in 1968, two roommates claimed their raggedy Ann doll was possessed by the spirit of a young girl named Annabelle Higgins. The roommates said that the, dolls be- that the doll behaved strangely and that a psychic medium told them that the doll was inhabited by the spirit of a deceased girl. The roommates tried to accept and nurture the spirit-possessed doll, but the doll reportedly exhibited malicious and frightening behavior. It was so like all children. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so nothing's different. Maybe nothing's it actually different. wasn't. Di- <laughs> Maybe it was a little innocent girl that possessed the doll and not a demon. A child is a child. <laughs> a child is a child. Uh, but. After the possession and the malicious behavior started, uh, it was at this point the Warrens said that they were first contacted. The Warrens investigated the doll and determined that it was being, quote, manipulated by an inhuman presence. The Warrens moved the doll to their museum after pronouncing it demonically possessed. The doll remains remained in a glass box at the Warrens Occult Museum in Monroe, Connecticut until the museum's closing in, two, in 2014. The legend of the doll inspired several films in the Conjuring universe and is a motif in many others. Shit. Yeah. So I could have, so it's that their, their museum isn't open anymore. Mm. Technically it is, but since 2014, it has been closed to the public due to local zoning laws. 
not permitting a museum in the residential neighborhood. So Makes sense. Yeah. Due to the popularity of the movies and Ed Warren, Ed and Lorraine Warren themselves, um, like there were so many people flocking to the area that they were starting to block traffic. Uh, well, the flow of traffic was being affected. They were blocking the roads. They were bothering their neighbors. Um, neighbors were getting really upset that um, the the owner, who is um, Tony Spira, who's the son-in-law of the Warrens, continuously continuously gets messages from enthusiastic fans looking to visit the museum. He unfortunately has to dismiss them and tell them that uh, not to come to the museum because it is closed. So. That makes sense. I wonder if they're going to move it somewhere else. Also, mm-hmm. uh, they should sue that medium. Everyone and their mother knows <clears throat> that demons like to impersonate children. Yeah. And innocent things. What the hell? Yeah, like uh, demons are tricky little things. Why would you? Why would you accept? First off, I don't accept anything from anybody ever, <laughs> good or bad, <laughs> and especially not in the spiritual world. My God. I'm just kidding. God, I just that made is good practice. So awful. Okay, that is son. a very good. That is a very good light on you. It looks <laughs> so you. pretty. See, see the 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 spirits from across the world are agreeing with me as they lit up the room when I said that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> if you're watching on YouTube, I was just blessed by the sunlight through my through my window directly into my eye. Fun times. Okay. Now I think we're good. Okay. Hi. Hi. So, thank you so much. Um, I struggled putting up my curtains. And then in the middle of it, I thought I heard a cat meowing outside. And I thought I locked my cat outside again. Turns out it's a, it's a, she always slips past her feet when we go outside. And sometimes if we're not looking, she gets out. And I accidentally locked her outside last night. So, I had to also make sure, or she wasn't locked out for very long, but. Moral of the story. I heard a cat, thought it was my cat, freaked out. And now we're here. Hi. We're here. Oh, the Welcome are back. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay. <sighs> my heart. Okay. Catch your breath. Take a second. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was like, I need a moment. <sighs> so the uh, second case is on the Perone family. In 1971, the Warrens claimed that the Harrisville, Rhode Island home of the Perone family was haunted by a witch who had lived there in the early 19th century. According to the Warrens, Bathsheba Sherman cursed the land so that whoever lived there would somehow die a terrible death. The story is the subject of the 2013 film, The Conjuring. And if you haven't watched it, go watch it because it's great. And it's one of my favorite yeah. films. <laughs> um, and also fun facts, the entire Perone family also put their support behind the film, having already come together to support their daughter, Andrea Perone's self-published 2011 book about their experience entitled Darkness, House of Darkness, House of Light. So if you're curious, you can check that out too. The Perone family lived in the farmhouse for approximately 10 years. Roger Perone and his wife, Carolyn, purchased the home in the winter of 1970. The 200-acre property offered plenty of space for them to raise their five daughters, Andrea, Nancy, Christine, Cynthia, and April. The family moved out of the house in June of 1980. That's a lot of daughters. Oh my God, I know. Like how much, do you know how much chocolate they have to go through in a month? (laughs) (laughs) Like think about it. Like at one point in time, oh my God, could you imagine when they're all synced? Oh, bless, God bless them all. 
That's a lot of, that's a lot of hormones under one roof right there. (laughs) Also Bathsheba. Mm -hmm. That is a great name. If I ever have, if I ever get another cat, I'm naming it Bathsheba. Yeah. It's the coolest name in the world. It really is. Bathsheba Sherman. There's like a good name. Bathsheba Sherman. You know what? That would be like, yeah. I, you know what? I would name my cat after the the Conjuring Witch. I don't mind. I, yeah, I'm, it's my fine. personality is spooky enough where it kind of matches. You know, people yeah. expect it at this point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bathsheba. Bathsheba. Uh, speaking of creepy things, the family claims the haunting started small. Items were moved around their house unexplained. They would find small piles of dirt in the center of newly cleaned kitchen floors, which I think is the biggest dick ghost move you could possibly do ever. Yes, I agree. Yeah, like I'm a lazy person. I hate to clean. Don't do this to me. Yeah. Please and thank you. Like you can loom over me smelling like rotten flesh while I sleep. I don't care. I'll take that. Just don't not don't mess up the things that I just cleaned. (laughs) It's just very uh, discouraging because then you don't want to clean it again. Yeah, come on. Ghost, Rude. prioritize your hauntings, please. For real. <laughs> Do better. Yeah. Uh, as things escalated, the family would smell rotten flesh. Beds would, raise off, beds would rise off the floor. And when entering the basement, the family reported feeling a cold and stinking presence behind them. Though the family hated their creepy basement, the heating equipment would often fail mysteriously, causing them to venture down more often in the basement than they would like to. Right? The Warrens made multiple trips to the house over the 10 years the family lived there. Supposedly, during a seance, Carolyn was possessed and began speaking in tongues and floated off the floor. After the seance, Roger kicked out the Warrens, worried about his wife's mental stability. Though the movie version of events accumulates with Ed performing an exorcism rather than a seance, Lorraine insists that she and her husband would have never attempted one as exorcisms must be performed by Catholic priests. According to Andrea Perone, the family continued to live in the home due to financial instability until they were able to move in 1980, at which point the spirits were silenced and the haunting ceased. How interesting. I mm-hmm. never understand that. How is it that one family is terrorized mm-hmm. uh, incessantly, but then as soon as they move out, the next family just doesn't experience yeah, anything. And then that first okay. family don't experience anything anywhere else. Like what did the, did the ghost or Damon just not like them? <laughs> yeah. I don't they're understand like, that. Yeah, they're just there to mess with them, just to get them to move and then just quit. Yeah. yeah I don't understand it either. It makes no sense to me. Uh, I know you may be thinking, what about Bathsheba Sherman? What about the witch? And I'm glad <laughs> you asked. <laughs> the legend goes, Bathsheba Sherman was caught sacrificing her son to Satan with a sewing needle. Oh my God, that alliteration. She, Bathsheba Sherman sacrificing son to Satan, sewing needle. Oh my God. There you go uh, for those like words. Uh, she sacrificed her son to Satan and then she cursed all who dared live on her land and then supposedly climbed a tree and hanged herself in 1849. But on the contrary, 
According to town records, born Bathsheba Thayer in Rhode Island in 1812, she married fellow Rhode Islander Judd Hud- sorry, Judson Sherman, one year her senior, in Thompson, Connecticut on March 10th, 1844. The two were married by Vernon Steeles, Styles, a local justice of the peace. Bathsheba filled the role of housewife while her husband Judson worked as a farmer on their land. Fairly well off, Bathsheba and Judson had a son, Herbert L. Sherman, born when Bathsheba was approximately 37 years of age in March of 1849. It is possible that they had three other children as well, all whom did not survive past the age of seven, though no census records could be found to confirm these reports. The family usually took in a boarder or like a renter, most likely to help them on the farm. There is no hard evidence to support that Bathsheba Sherman was a was really a witch, only legend and local folklore. Suspicion grew when a neighbor's infant mysteriously died while in Bathsheba's care. When the baby was examined, it was determined that the mortal wound was caused by a large sewing needle that had been impaled at the base of the child's skull. The townspeople believed, yeah, really awful. <laughs> The townspeople believed that Bathsheba sacrificed the infant as an offering to the devil. However, due to insufficient evidence, the court found that she was innocent of any wrongdoing. Despite her name being legally cleared, the public was not convinced. Forty years after the trial, Bathsheba Sherman died as an old woman on May 25th, 1885, roughly four years after her husband Judson Sherman's death in 1881. Was she babysitting that child and like sewing at the same time and maybe she misplaced (laughs) her needle? Like, how does that happen? I have no idea. I would also like to call into... Also, can you die from that? Well, I got some baby good, huh? Yeah. I would like to also take into consideration the, like, the detective work that they had back then. Because I, if I remember correctly from my forensic studies um really no one really gave a damn about like coherent investigation until like the 1900s yeah (laughs) so i would like to i would like to know what what they were uh their claims and their evidence that pointed towards a sewing needle yeah in the back of the kid's head so also how did they know it was bathsheba maybe it was the mother i don't know like postpartum depression and all that (laughs) but yeah also Last thing I'll point out about Bathsheba, aside from her really cool name, I just never understand how you can carry a child in your or a fetus in your womb for nine months and then name it Herbert. It's just you know very what, unfortunate. No. <laughs> Herbert. Yeah. Herbert. Oh. Herbert. Gosh dang. Yeah, it's it's very weird. <laughs> I wonder if that was a popular name at the time, but really though, Bathsheba, Herbert, come on. (laughs) Bathsheba, do better. Yeah, girl. (laughs) But that is the, uh, that's the true story based on local um, records of Bathsheba Sherman. So technically she was not a witch, but she was prosecuted as one though. Pretty interesting. And that's like way after the Boston witch trials, right? Salem witch oh, trials. Yeah, the there Salem we go. Trials? Uh, I do believe. Yeah, I think that was yeah. like by a couple. I can't believe people were still prosecuting witches, like two hundred years know. after the fact. Weird. 
God bless people. Humanity. <laughs> the crazy way that they think. Yeah. Yes. So our th- uh, the third case that we're going to talk about is the Amityville haunting or Amityville horror. The Warrens are best known for the involvement in the 1975 Amityville horror and were one of the first paranormal groups to investigate the property. A couple, George and Kathy Lutz, claimed that their house was haunted by a violent and demonic presence so intense that it eventually drove them out of their home. And how did the Warrens find out about this haunted location? Rumors of a demon? Alleged hauntings? Did uh, Kathy and George reach out to them personally? Nay, nay. It was the murder of an entire family. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Ronald Joseph DeFeo Jr. was tried and convicted for the 1974 killings of his six family members in the Amityville, Long Island, New York home. The victims were Ronald Jr.'s parents, Donald DeFeo Sr. and Lois DeFeo, both 43 years of age, and his four siblings, his two sisters, John 18, Allison 13, and his two brothers, Mark 12 and John 9. Supposedly, the same demonic spirit that haunted the house was the same one that possessed DeFeo on the night of the murders and caused him to kill all of his family. All of the victims had been shot with a 35 caliber level action Marlin 336C rifle around three o'clock in the morning. The DeFeo parents had both been shot twice while the children had all been shot once. According to the Sulphic, the Sulphic County police, the victims were all found lying face down in their beds. Rumors of paranormal mischief started due to the positioning of the bodies laying face down and that none of the family woke up during the attack. However, later on in the investigation, physical evidence suggested that both Lois and her daughter Allison were awake at the time of their deaths. The following day, DeFeo confessed to carrying out the killings himself. DeFeo told detectives, once I started, I just couldn't stop. It went so fast. Which was another hint towards demonic possession. I hate that. Yeah. He later admitted that he had taken a bath, redressed, and detailed where he had discarded the crucial evidence before continuing on and going to work as usual. Excuse me, what? Yeah, gross. Um, The good news about all this is that he was condemned to six sentences of 25 years to life, and he died in prison in in 2021 at the age of 69. Nice. Sorry. Right? (laughs) fucking wild he just yeah i don't understand killers how does he just went to work Mm -hmm. he just went up and just continued on with his life right after annihilating his entire family like how yeah how so what what i heard so i'm just gonna say what i what i know about the story sure which may or may not be true so everyone was laying face down and mm-hmm. like it didn't have a silencer or anything so after one person was shot like everyone else would have heard the gunshot and they would have woken up and gone into like some sort of panic mm-hmm. but the fact that everyone was found laying face down unless of course he just turned them over i'm not sure no idea no mm-hmm. idea but it, it's just so it's just so creepy. Yeah, like the the body positioning, how they were all killed. Um, 
him it's going disturbing. into like a trance-like state. Yeah, it's very weird. Uh, uh, but according to skeptic Benjamin Radford, the ghost story was refuted by eyewitnesses, investigations, and forensic evidence. In 1979, DeFeo's own lawyer, William Weber, stated that he, author Jay Anson, and the new occupants of the home, George and Kathy Lutz, invented the horror story over many bottles of wine. And also William Weber, I believe they tried to do like a demonic possession defense with uh, DeFeo as well. So he, tried, I think he tried to get away with that too. <laughs> and then they built this story on top of it to, to sell the to sell his, um, his, his case, which is pretty interesting. Um, also, a priest was added to the cast of characters who was later defrocked by his own diocese. <laughs> and to help sell their story, Ed and Lorraine Warren were invited into the, um, into the home to hold a seance, during which they captured a photograph of a demonic boy who looked remarkably similar to the youngest DeFeo child, John. Which it's Why a would very he turn demonic? Picture. I don't know. Oh, is it that know. picture with like the stairs? Yeah, yeah. And there's a kid looking at the, the banister. Yep, yeah, that's the one. Mm -hmm. Why would you? It's just a ghost. It's not a demonic spirit. What the hell? Yeah, I know. Um, the reported haunting was the basis for the 1977 book, The Amityville Horror, by none other than Jay Anson, and adapted into the 1979 and 2005 films of the same name. The Warren's version of events is adapted and portrayed in the opening sequence of The Conjuring 2. Mm. So um, I'm really glad you brought up like your like uh, points about the, the murder case because I actually find it incredibly interesting um, because it's so convoluted and the investigation was rushed. Poor, there was poor evidence collecting and there's yeah. also tons of theories of like DeFeo might not have acted alone and that potentially his sister Dawn or Allison was helping them in the murders it's bananas. Um, so how did I she actually, die then? Did he just? I they killed her after. I don't know. I, ooh, ooh. There's so many like twists and turns to this case, and I know we said that we wouldn't cover like modern day cases, but I'm actually kind of interested in looking into it because there's such like a close tie between the paranormal and the murder case in like reality, yeah. and I kind of want to deep dive more into Amityville horror or the Amityville murders. It's ooh. just it's. <laughs> It makes no sense to me. Because mm -hmm. the shotgun is loud as fuck, boy. Like, it's... Yeah, anyone it's can hear gut. that from a mile away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Even with the silencer, it's still kind of loud. Like, Yeah, it's I don't know. so very bizarre. I admittedly left with a lot more questions about this scene than I came in with. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I, I definitely would like to do a, a, like a full episode on it. I think it would be a ton of fun. That would be great. Yeah. Uh, so our fourth case is the Einfeld Porter blah blah blah. Our fourth case is the Einfeld Poltergeist. In 1977, the Warrens investigated claims that a family in the North London suburb of Einfeld was haunted by poltergeist activity. The alleged activity centered around sisters Janet 11 and Margaret 13. In August 1977, their mother Peggy Hodgson called the Metropolitan Police to her rented home at 284 Green Street in Einfeld, London, claiming she had witnessed furniture moving and that her two out of her four children, Jane and Margaret, had heard knocking sounds on the wall. A police constable reported witnessing a chair wobble and slide but could not determine the cause of the movement. 
Over a period of 18 months, more than 30 people, including the Hodgson's neighbors, psychic researchers, and journalists said that they saw heavy furniture moving on its own accord, objects being thrown across the room, and the sisters seeming to levitate several feet off the ground. Many also heard and recorded knocking noises and a gruff voice. The story was regularly covered in the Daily Mirror newspaper until reports came to an end in 1979. While a number of independent observers dismissed the incident as a hoax carried out by attention-hungry children, the Warrens were convinced that, the that this was a case of demonic possession. The story was the inspiration for The Conjuring 2, although critics say that the Warrens were involved to a far lesser degree than what was portrayed in the movie, and in fact showed up to the scene uninvited and had been refused entry into the home. <laughs> So if you ever see The Conjuring 2, when like Ed Warren is like strumming the guitar and singing Elvis to the to the family who's distraught because they don't have a father anymore because he left them. Yeah, that's all Fake bullshit news. made up. Yep. Mm -hmm. Fake news. Damn. How awful. Yeah. That's very awful. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Guy Leon Playfair, a parapsychologist who investigated the Einfeld case alongside Maurice Gross, also says that the film greatly exaggerated the Warrens' role in the investigation. He stated in 2016 that the Warrens turned up once and that Ed, and Ed Warren told Playfair that they could make a lot of money out of this case. Playfair also corroborated the claim that the Warrens were not invited to the Einfeld house and that, quote, nobody in the family had ever heard of them until they turned up. <laughs> That's very so shady. That pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So this, the Conjuring movie fucked me up. So I think during the movie, like at the end, they actually play like real audio that was captured during your real audio that was captured during this mm -hmm. um, of Janet <sighs> allegedly she has her mouth shut and a gruff, like you said, like older man's voice is speaking out of her while her mouth is shut. And like, you can hear Ew. it in the audio. I don't know if there's like actual, uh, like video of this occurrence, mm -hmm. but in the audio, she's like this. And then it's just like <laughs> coming out of her. Ew. Yeah. Ew. <laughs> Could you imagine? Oh, I hope there is. I kind of I would like to to find all this stuff and really look into yeah. it. It's disgusting. <laughs> like oh no, thank you. Yeah, if my kid ever started doing that, um, where do you return them? Where um, can I give my kid back? Back to the child depot. <laughs> Ninety day return warranty. <laughs> 90 day return warranty or demonic possession. Either one, yes. we will accept the child back. So for our fifth case is uh, the case of Arnie Johnson. In 1981, Arnie Cheyenne Johnson was accused of killing his landlord, Alan Bono. You may be thinking to yourself, how the hell did Ed and Lorraine Warren get involved in another murder case? Glad you asked. 
Well, the pair had met Arnie Johnson several weeks prior to the killing as the Warrens had been called to deal with an alleged demonic possession of the younger brother of Arnie's fiance. Uh, and so they believed that he was possessed, that the demon had hopped from the younger brother into Arnie, and uh, they advocated for him. The Warrens subsequently claimed that Johnson was also possessed by the demon, hence why he had killed his landlord. And at the trial, Johnson attempted to plead not guilty by reason of demonic possession. But as you can imagine, he was unsuccessful. The judge was not buying the theory and Arnie was found guilty. However, he served five years before being released. The case was described in the 1983 book, The Devil in Connecticut by Gerald Brittle and was republished as a movie tie-in for the third film in the series, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. Okay, so this one, what I know about this, I'm sorry, I'm just going to That's okay. very quick uh, <laughs> segue um, or side note. Uh, so they were, I guess the younger brother was experiencing some quote-unquote demonic possession. Mm -hmm. And then the older brother was like, you should take me instead. Uh, leave my younger brother alone. You should come inside of me instead. So then... The younger brother stopped experiencing the quote-unquote demonic possession. The older brother, I think, killed his fiance's father-in-law, or father, who was the landlord, I want to say. And then mm. um, they went to court. He did use the thing about demonic possession. He served the five years, and then afterwards... Uh, he still got married to her because the whole family backed him and believed that there was actually demonic possession in play. Oh my God. Arnie. They actually, so this is Arnie's case you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Holy moly. Are you kidding me? <gasps> they were still married. Yeah. It's wild. Their family supported them. Wow. Ha. Huh, that makes me feel very kind of weird yeah I don't, <laughs> yeah i don't like it <laughs> yeah wow i had to take a pause because my body feels different now <laughs> mm -hmm. um actually i'm really glad you bring that up because um when we get start talking about the critics um there's some good points that that you raise that we do uh that i talk about um later on so okay. keep that in mind because um ooh, yeah that makes me feel a lot more weird <laughs> about the i don't horns. like it yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Um, but <laughs> uh, moving on, we have the number six uh, is the Snedeker family. Snedeker family. I don't know how you really say it. Uh, it's a really interesting spelling. Uh, I'll spell it for you now. S-N-E-D-E-K-E-R. I'm going to call it the Snedeker because I just feel like I'm swearing if I say it any other way. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, in 1986, Ed and Lorraine Warren arrived and proclaimed that the Snedeker house, which was once a funeral home, was, was infested with demons. The hauntings started when the eldest son began to see ghosts and terrifying visions. The experiences spread to the other family members and got worse. Both parents said that they were raped and sodomized by demons. They claimed that blood was pouring out from the walls. The mother claimed as she mopped the kitchen floor, the water suddenly turned blood red and smelled of decaying flesh and so on and so forth. Ew. Yeah, just a lot of like really creepy shit and disgusting ugh, 
smelly stuff. I can't do that. Mm -hmm. Horror author Jay Garten, who wrote an account on the alleged hauntings, was hired by Ed and Lorraine Warren to work with the Cynodakers and write the true story of their experiences. He interviewed all of the family members about their experiences and soon realized that there was a huge problem. Quote, the family was going through some serious problems, like alcoholism and drug addiction. Oh, shit. Yeah. They could not keep their story straight, and I became very frustrated. It's hard writing a nonfiction book when all of the people involved are telling you different stories. According to Garten, when he brought his concerns about the family to Ed, Ed dismissed him, called the family crazy people, and stated that, quote, you've got some of the story, just use what works and make the rest up. Just make it up and make it scary. And that's exactly what Garten did. Yeah. Though the Snedakers stand by the story, it seems that there is little to no proof that anything supernatural occurred in the home. Whether or not the Snedakers actually believe their story, they stood to make a lot of money from the book deal. They were aware that the Lutz family, the Amityville Horror um, New York family, mm-hmm. profited handsomely from selling the rights to their, quote, true story of a haunted house. It's also important to note that the residence was once a funeral home, but it had been converted into three separate apartments. Mm -hmm. The family, the Snedeker family, rented one of the apartments. They were the only family that was affected by these so-called demons. The other two tenants were not affected. Awfully um, suspicious. Right? <laughs> so many questions. <laughs> so, is there some type of rule in the demonic realm where they just can't cross a certain threshold? Like, I feel like demons are just kind of. Uh, demons, please leave me alone. But I feel like they're just kind of chaotic and they don't follow yeah. the rules. So, the fact that they're limiting themselves to one household when they could affect three households is awfully suspicious to me. I don't like that. Yeah. Yep. And they're all in the same building. Mm-hmm. And it, even though it like the whole building itself was a funeral home and it was in infe- the funeral home itself was infested with demons, but it just affected one family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have Very suspicious. Well. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and if you're if you're wondering, uh, the 2009 film The Haunting in Connecticut is very loosely based on the Warrens' version of events. So if you've seen that film, you know, you know which one I'm talking about. <laughs> I. Um, yeah, I haven't seen it either. <laughs> you know, I think I saw it when it first came out, but I don't remember really anything of it. There's so many different haunting in Connecticut movies. You know what I mean? Like, like there's yeah. so many of them titled. The only one I've seen is like that old timey one. It's not old timey in the sense that it was filmed a long time ago. It was filmed like in 2000 something, like early 2000s. But it took place in like the 1800s or like early 1900s and it was that man that was like assaulting his daughter or whatever and like they did like a seance and then it turned out that um what they thought was a demonic spirit where like it showed her being flung across the room and stuff was actually just her father (gasps) and i oh i'm sorry if you've never seen this but to listeners this this movie has been out for like 12 years <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it's uh it's that girl that was in the live action peter pan movie 
Oh, okay. Freya Tingley, I think, is her name. Oh. Yeah, but. Oh, how fun. That movie was wild. I don't know. Yeah, no, that, wow, what a twist ending to that. Actually, that's pretty cool. Uh, I actually really really like that ending. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, fucked up nonetheless, but it's, you know, how like, oh, we, it's actually a demon possessing people. Just kidding. It's it's much darker. Yeah, Uh, much darker. (laughs) Um, Speaking of darker, um, you can help me out with this case, Bev. Um, Our last case that we're going to talk about today is the Schmurl family, which you covered Mm -hmm. in uh, episode 15. Uh, so if you would like to, after you listen to this episode and you want to keep the creeps on theme, go ahead and check it out, episode 15, and you can uh, learn more detail about um, the Schmurl case. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty fun. Uh, but what I have here is that the uh, uh, Pennsylvania residents, Jack and Janet Schmurl, reported their home was disturbed by numerous supernatural phenomenons, including sounds, smells, and apparitions. The Warrens became involved and claimed that the Schmurl home was occupied by four spirits and also a demon that allegedly sexually assaulted Jack and Janet. The Schmurl's version of their story was the subject of a 1986 paperback entitled The Haunted and a television film of the same name directed by Robert Mandel, if you're curious, out of curiosity. Yeah. Uh, Also, in this uh, episode, you'll be pleased to find some spooks, and we maybe caught a ghost EVP on the episode. Yeah. I think I sent it to you. Yeah, I sent that little clip to you. I never figured out what it was, because I was like, is that me, like, whispering? But, like, looking at the video, like, I'm all the way back here, and it sounds like someone just went... Inside of the, right the fucking room. microphone. And, like, you're <gasps> way behind, like, your microphone. So, like, it couldn't, couldn't have possibly been you. I don't understand, people. I don't oh, understand. I so was cool. editing that video at, like, 10. And I was like, oh, I hate this. I have to do this <laughs> tomorrow in the daylight. This is fucking horrible. Oh, my God. You know, I could never a be a ghost investigator. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah, no, that was such a good, creepy episode. Um, Not only just how you were describing the case, but we also got jump scared halfway through it. <laughs> you could see so much my soul leave straight through my ass. Like, <laughs> God, it was so scary. <gasps> that was such a fun episode. Would highly recommend um, just to, to listen and hear more of it. So good. We'll link it like up here somewhere. For sure, for sure. Um, okay, so uh, now that we talked about the uh, creepy experiences and have now felt a little different about the Warrens, um, let's talk about what the critics have to say, shall we? Yes. So Ed and Lorraine Warren have dealt with many skeptics in their lifetime. Skeptics Perry DeAngelis and Stephen Novella investigated the Warrens' research methods and supposed paranormal evidence, to which they described it all as Blarney. And if you don't know what Blarney is, it is to influence or persuade someone using charm and pleasant flattery. So keep that in mind. Used car salesman. Mm. Oh! (laughs) Yeah. So skeptical investigators. Yeah. Skeptical investigators Joe Nickel and Benjamin Radford concluded that the better-known hauntings, Amityville and the Snedeker family haunting, did not happen and had been invented. 
So were Ed and Lorraine Warren menacing occultists or harmless daydreamers? According to a 1997 interview with the Connecticut Post, skeptics Steve Novella and Perry DeAngelis investigated the Warrens on behalf of the New England Skeptical Society. They took the $13 museum tour, watched all of their videos, and looked at the best evidence the Warren had to offer. The skeptics concluded that it was all blarney and made up. <laughs> uh, they found that the Warrens, they found the Warrens to be pleasant people, but their claims of demons and ghosts to be, quote, at least as tellers of meaningless ghost stories and at worst dangerous frauds. So there's a New England Skeptical Society. Mm-hmm. And then there's a New England Society for Psychical Re- Research. So Ness and Nesper? Okay. Yep. I see. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, and they're they're constantly checking it on one another. <laughs> you know, it's good to have checks and balances. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm like honestly, I'm not upset about that. <laughs> yeah. Most of the Warrens' paranormal evidence that they had was due to common errors with flash photography. <gasps> You're shitting me. No. The skeptics also found nothing evil in the artifacts that the Warrens had collected. According to skeptic Steve Novella, the Warrens, quote, have a ton of fish stories about evidence that just got away. They're not doing good scientific investigations. They have predetermined conclusions to their cases, which they adhere to and literally and religiously uh, seek whatever evidence possible to corroborate their stories. So So you're telling me. That picture of that kid on the banister is an error with flash photography. It <gasps> might be. I don't know like the true story on like how to debunk that picture because I'm just I don't have that wherewithal to know how Me to either. debunk it. <laughs> but like it there's most likely just an error with flash photography, which I just find it just to be kind of really shitty, but also extraordinarily hilarious at the same time. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. It's so much easier to get stuff like that, though, with, like, black and white photography. Have you noticed that? Mm-hmm. Oh, so, like, if sure. it was, like, colored pictures, like, it'd be harder to fake that. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I believe it. Flash photography. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, wow. and then also thinking about, like, the development process back then where you had to have a black room. You know, things weren't digital as they are now, so you were, you know, physically developing your own pictures and there's tons of like error you know room for error or whatnot but if you accidentally touch the picture in some sort of way it like yeah as jesus's face to a tortilla yeah it's (laughs) (laughs) yep (laughs) but i just found it hilarious that you know in my mind of course this is like years ago and they're like whatever one could be considered boomers but i just think of like two like old people playing around with the camera not knowing how it works and be like i got ghosts (laughs) (laughs) i just think it's hilarious oh Um, that's funny yeah um speaking of which lorraine was pissed when she heard about this and she fired back saying that the problem with novella and deangelis is that they don't base anything on god so Novella responded by saying, quote, it takes work to do 
solid critical thinking <gasps> to actually employ your intellectual faculties and come to a conclusion that actually reflects reality that's what scientists do every day and that's what skeptics advocate what an <laughs> asshole oh, shit. i love him she was just essentially coming in and saying like hey you can't tell us what to do you just need to believe in you need to believe and then you'll understand the evidence and he was like no ma'am it doesn't work that work. way <gasps> yeah fuck <laughs> Man, I absolutely love Steve Novella. He's my favorite <laughs> out of the two. In an article for the Sydney Morning Herald that examined whether supernatural films are based on true events, Novella stated the following, quote, The Warrens claim to have scientific evidence that proves the existence of ghosts, which sounds like a testable claim into which we can sink our investigative teeth into. What we found was a very nice couple, some genuinely sincere people, but absolutely no compelling evidence to the existence of ghosts and demons. While it was made clear that neither DeAngelis nor Novella thought the Warrens would intentionally cause harm to anyone, they did caution the claims that the Warrens served to reinforce delusions and confuse the public about legitimate scientific methodologies. So going around and screaming that there's ghosts everywhere isn't maybe the greatest thing to do and causing fear you know, inciting yeah. fear into people. Mass hysteria. <laughs> yeah. And then not having like the appropriate scientific facts or research to back any of it up. Yeah. There's no scientific method being uh, put into place here, which yeah. isn't, uh, you know, you got to start with the hypothesis. Mm -hmm. Then you got to have a null hypothesis and an alternative hypothesis. And you got to go in, you, you got to have a control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, control groups. You got gotta... your control groups? Yeah, it's... I learned oh, something in college. If that's the only thing, that, that may be the only thing, but I learned something. It's <laughs> oh, just... That's so cool. I don't... Uh, yeah, I agree no, with them, but I also really want to believe, you know? Same. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like, like, think of all the things that you know on how to conduct a proper scientific research study. And now realize that everything that they did, they didn't even include it's any backwards. of it. backwards. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't yeah. even include it. That's right. <gasps> uh-huh. How fun, right? Um, also, I love Damn. that you called Ed Warren a used salesman, like a used car salesman. He looks like that. Yeah. And it fits in so well with his personality and true in real life um, based on, you know, what I told you guys today, I think he truly was like a paranormal ghost salesman. Yeah. <laughs> and it worked. A paranormal ghost salesman. <laughs> hey, I'll tell you what. If uh, if you pretend to have all of these demonic occurrences happening in your house, I promise I'll get you a million dollar book deal. They're like, deal. <laughs> Let me throw yeah, myself yeah. against the wall. <laughs> Absolutely. Yo, I would do the same thing, man. <laughs> I was like... All right, what are we talking about today, Ed? You want some, like, pig ghost to throw me down the stairs? Absolutely. Yeah. You stand back? <laughs> I need a running start. Let me let me really get this. And here's the thing. you got to catch me as I'm in midair. Be sure to use the flash so it looks like there's something. And be sure to move the camera as I'm flinging myself off the stairs to ensure that you're capturing the ghost entity behind me. <laughs> Beautiful. Oh, my God. You know what I imagined him being like? Mm-hmm. You know the History Channel? 
that aliens guy that's like aliens. <laughs> I'm just imagining Ed Warren just going ghosts or demons, you know? Yeah, it's demons. Demons. <laughs> absolutely yeah that's at the end of the day yeah that's kind of like the conclusion that i came to was like these kind of these two are just kind of selling stories and you know um they're doing a great job at it yeah they're doing a fantastic (laughs) job at it um but my only worry is the um the ethical like the ethics behind their you know um, money making schemes yeah no like are they are these families like willingly going along with it or are they pulling the wool over these people's eyes and convincing them that there's something there that's not? And then also are the Warrens getting paid to do this? Were they, or were they accepting like a monetary value from these people? Like, I, I don't know. I have a lot of, a lot of questions, but I then feel again, like they would take a cut from the book deal, right? Is that how that would work? I'm assuming. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. yeah it's, my biggest concern is the kids, mm-hmm. especially if they're doing what you said, where they're uh, pulling the sheepskin over the, what's it called? Oh, the wool over their eyes. Oh, the wool over their eyes. <laughs> <laughs> if they're doing that and it's like affecting these kids, like that's kind of fucked up, especially if you have your own kid. What if someone did that to yours? I'm sure you wouldn't be fine with it. Yeah, no. I'm like, I love everything that's creepy and weird but if someone came knocking on my door saying that my house was haunted and they want to like exercise the demons no absolutely not especially if i had a child if i was a mom at the time no you're not coming in my house i'll deal with it myself i'm scarier than anything hell can come out with okay yeah. <laughs> wait until i pms <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but i'd just be pissed but then again like um the skeptics did say um that the Warrens de- did seem like genuinely nice people. So maybe they did think that they were doing good work. The Lord's I'm work. Not, the Lord's work. Yeah. The devote. Um, Cause they were devout. Um, They're like Roman really so. intense Jehovah's witnesses. They're yeah. not coming at you, telling you that they want to save you from uh, or save your reserve your place in heaven, but rather they're telling you that they want to save your soul. They're like, let me exercise these demons from your house. Let me exercise these demons from your body. And you're like, <laughs> no, thank you. I don't want these pamphlets. No, but you need these pamphlets. And they're just very good at what they do. They're so good at convincing you. They're yeah, like, they are. You need this service. Here's the thing. <laughs> if someone came to my door like that, I would 100% fall for it. I am <laughs> the perfect. <laughs> it's so fucked up, but I am... The ideal candidate for marketing campaigns. Mm. <laughs> you can get me with anything. If it looks interesting enough, I will buy it. That I, is fair. Mm-hmm. I don't. <sighs> hey, you know what you like. And I it's, do know what I like. It's whatever, and it's whatever. bullshit. that's that's ed and lorraine warren for you um i again i feel a little differently about them i still love all the movies that they have come up with and i think it's like really great stories (laughs) that they have um you know gifted the world um again i'm a little concerned with the ethics of how they got into these (laughs) how they were able to sell their stories um but nonetheless um 
I'm going to hope that they weren't purposely going out to hurt anybody. It doesn't sound like it was. Uh, like they were. I think they're just trying to make money, to be honest. Like anyone and, else. Um, yeah. And art is lucrative. And uh, I would probably do the same thing. Oh, and if um, I grew up Catholic. And if if my experience in the Catholic religion was like, hey, you can learn this and then you can fight demons. I would be into it. I'm not going to lie. I would probably be really into it. Yeah. But it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Rachel the Demon Fighter. Demon Slayer? Oh, wait. That's yeah. an anime. Damn. Oh, that's yeah. Ooh. But think of like Buffy. I want to do that. That'd be kind of fun. Rachel the but Vampire Slayer? <laughs> or Rachel oh. the Vampire Lair? Yeah. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you. They get slayed. <laughs> I don't like Nosferatu. I want some like Lestat Leoncourt. Thank you. Yes. Leoncourt, whoever is Yes. <laughs> I Nosferatu? know my standard of vampire. Nosferatu, thank you. Yes! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fun. Damn. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to our creepy stories and wild speculations. This is a Dark by Design podcast. Please like, comment, and subscribe, and follow us for more Monstrous episodes released every Monday at midnight. You can find more information about today's topic on the show's website at www.darkbydesignpodcast.com or on Instagram, Twitch, and TikTok at darkbydesign underscore podcast. Listen to us on your favorite podcast streaming site. Or watch the show on our YouTube channel by searching for Dark by Design Podcast. And on our YouTube, we're also putting up a bunch of, like, other content. So feel free to check it out. Um, It's very fun. And if you would like to support us, then you'll be glad to know that we've also launched a Patreon. If you sign up for our Patreon, you get a bunch of amazing goodies and extras starting at the $5 level, including a thank you sticker and print early access to extended episodes, and downloadable coloring pages that you'll absolutely love. All Patreon levels also have special access to our Discord, where we can all play games and talk the night away, because yay, friendship. (laughs) And supporting us on Patreon also helps us uh, offset the costs of hosting and making the show. We record and edit our own episodes, content, etc., and your support will mean the absolute world to us. Again, if you're not able to support us monetarily, then word of mouth will really help the show grow. And lastly, we want to hear from you too. So remember that this is a two-way relationship. And if you have a creepy encounter, a ghost story, or a personal true crime story that you'd like to share with your fellow coven members, DM us your story on our socials or email us at darkbydesignpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week. You scared the hell out of me. I was like, what is happening? (laughs) I'm just channeling my inner demon. (laughs) That is fair. Oh, you're speaking in tongues now. I see. (laughs) I'll get Lorraine and Ed on the uh, the Ouija board for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Ed, Lorraine, is this you? Diamonds. <laughs> Diamonds. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in. Be nice to yourself. Be nice to other people. And like Bev says, we'll see you next week. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>
shocking monster. Never have you known such cringing terror, such sudden shocks.